Well, thank you very much for participating in that. I'm Dwayne Arledge, Connections Pastor here at Fellowship of the Rockies, in case you're fairly new to our church. And I want to share with you today, it's my privilege, in fact, to get to share with you today. Several years ago, in fact, a lot more years than some of you are old, uh, in 1980, before some of you were born, I recall a Christmas of 1980, my wife Summer and I were preparing to move from north central Missouri to New Orleans, Louisiana to go to seminary. Now, you have to understand my family to understand the impact that an announcement of moving 750, 800 miles away would have. Six children in my family, five boys, one girl. Before you feel sorry for that girl, she was next to the oldest, and the rest of us were under her. You don't have to feel sorry for her. Uh, <clears throat> Not that she was mean, but she didn't have a rough life, okay? Uh, but six kids. And by this time, 1980, all of us were married. Several of the older ones, oldest ones had children. And so a Christmas gathering at the Arledge household was about 25, sometimes as many as almost 35 people. It was quite a hullabaloo, actually. It was really noisy. Uh, I know it, those of you who know me have trouble believing that any, that my family could be noisy. But just, just believe it. At the end of those family gatherings, as kids were leaving, my dad's tradition always was to pray with them, pray for God's safety, God's provision. Um, Christian family, he valued family and loved his children. And so my dad and mom would always pray with us before we left to go back to our homes. Now, you have to understand, it was never a good thing, in my, or it was not viewed as a good thing in my family, if one of the children, one of the families, moved farther away from the family. And so, as we had been a few months in the decision process of moving to New Orleans, believing God had called us to go there, to go to seminary, to further what God was calling us to in ministry... I knew it was going to be a hard thing for my parents. Now, they had known for a few months that we were planning that. But this was Christmas, and four to five days later, we were going to load up our rider truck and move to them, you know, halfway across the United States. So my dad gathered us, my mom and Summer and me, prayed for us. My mom prayed for us. And then my dad, with tears in his eyes, said... This is hard. Just looked him in the eye. And he said, but it would be really hard if I didn't absolutely know that you and Summer are both following God and you're in the middle of God's will in doing this. Now, I don't know for sure what that might do for you, but even today as I recall that, here's what it does for me. It, gives, it gave me and continues to remind me of the great acceptance and affirmation my dad gave me on that day. Here's what he said. I'm reading between the lines. He said, I've watched you, Dwayne, through four years of college, through you and Summer getting married before your senior year of college. I've watched you for five to six years of ministry, and I've seen God at work in your lives. I approve of what you and Summer have been doing 
I approve of what you're about to do because the Holy Spirit bears witness with me that he's at work and you're doing what he wants you to do. Now, that's a whole lot more than he said, but that's what I registered that day when my dad said to me, I'm convinced you are in God's will in doing this. Great acceptance to this day when I recount that. It gives me a lift to be reminded of that affirmation. Now, what I want to share with you today, everybody wants to be accepted. If somebody tells you, acceptance is not a big deal to me, I don't care if I'm accepted or not, let me tell you this. The only person in the room, when, when they say that, the only person in the room they're fooling is themselves. We know better because we know our own life experience. Acceptance is huge. So this weekend, I have the privilege of sharing with you something that has been absolutely revolutionizing for me personally. In fact, a couple of months ago, a good friend of mine, a pastor I had worked with in Denver, uh, Drew Stevens, who's pastor in Evergreen, Colorado now, was talking with me about this, and he had preached a sermon. Now, Drew, Drew is much smarter than I am, okay? I know you don't find that hard to believe. <laughs> but he, when, he, when he digs into God's Word, he just astounds me at the things he finds and sees in God's Word. And so he was sharing with me, and I said, Drew, would you email a copy of that to me? Would you share that with me? I want, I want to dig deeper in this. He said, sure, send it to me. I started reading it. I was like, I'm just going to have to dig in the Scripture and find this stuff because this guy's over my head. He's too smart for me. So here's what I've done. In studying it, I came up with a Bubba version that Dwayne could understand. All right? Now, most of you here could understand Drew's version, but I couldn't unload it to you, so I have to go to the Bubba version for me to comprehend it. But let me tell you this. Uh, I, I... Even the Bubba version is revolutionizing. And I know you're looking at those sermon notes there. Those of you who take the notes and get in life groups and take your notes to your life group and everything, you're looking at it going, wow, all these blanks he's got for me to fill in. If this is the Bubba version, I would hate to see the other one. Just relax. There are a lot of blanks to fill in, but this is good stuff. Not because I'm giving it, but because it is good stuff from God's Word. If you'll believe this and apply this truth to your lives it will change how you walk every day of your lives. Jesus was talking once to some new disciples who had just believed in him very recently, and he said this to them about truth. He said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, he didn't just say, you'll hear it with your ears, and it will set you free. When he said, you'll know the truth, he's saying, if you'll embrace the truth, it will set you free. Another time when he was talking to them about fullness of life and acceptance and joy, he said this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now that last little phrase, let me give it that to you from several different translations of the scripture. NIV says that they may have life and have it to the full. New Living Translation says I have come to give them a rich and satisfying life. The Living Bible says, I've come to give them life in all its fullness. Now listen, that describes something I want. If what Jesus said is true, and it is true, why is it that so 
few of us experience the level of contentment and fullness and acceptance that Jesus was talking about. Just think about your experience and those people you know who say, I am a Christian. Does fullness, contentment, joy, complete acceptance describe the life experience of most people? Let me read to you from Robert McGee, who wrote the book uh, Search for Significance. And I challenge you, get a copy of the book, Search for Significance. It digs into Scripture and applies some stuff that's right along the lines of what I'm talking about today. Let me read to you. From the beginning of our lives, we are searching to satisfy some inner, unexplained yearning for full acceptance. Our hunger causes us to search for people who will love us. Our desire for acceptance pressures us to perform for the praise of others. We strive for success, pushing our minds and bodies harder and farther, hoping that because of our sweat and sacrifice, others will appreciate us more. The man or woman who lives only for the love and attention of others is never satisfied, at least not for long. In spite of all our efforts, we will never find lasting, fulfilling peace because we feel we have to continually prove ourselves to others. Does that not describe the vast majority of people? And here's the really big problem, I believe. Most of us approach our relationship with God the same way he just described us approaching our relationship with other people. That's why I believe so many of us are working harder and harder, running faster and faster, and never feeling like we can please God or do enough to gain his acceptance. And here's the truth of it. We cannot earn God's acceptance. But the good news, right behind that news that we can't earn his acceptance is, we can obtain God's acceptance. Did you get that? We cannot earn it, but we can obtain his acceptance. And that's why I want to absolutely lock into your minds today, if at all possible, that you can have his acceptance and your fulfillment in life. I want us to think about two choices And then a couple of challenges for you, and I want to end today with a confession. We're not big on confessions here, and I'm not talking about confession where you come in and tell me your sins. The word confess means to agree with, and so what we're going to do is agree with God's Word, and we're going to make a confession of the truth of God's Word at the end of this today. The choice. Let's let's take the bad choice first, okay? The world's path to acceptance, and as you might suspect... It's the wrong path. But it sounds amazingly like the path most of us choose on many days. I'm going to begin reading in Colossians. And if you have a Bible and open to the book of Colossians in the New Testament, uh, leave it open to chapter 2 because we'll come back to it in a little bit after I read this first verse. Colossians 2 verse 8, Paul is writing to the, the believers at Colossae. And he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Now, he just described a world system that is set over against Jesus Christ. Did you get that? Rather than on Christ. That sets everything in opposition to Jesus Christ and his plan. Here's how the world system tells us we can gain acceptance. First, performance expectations are set. Whether it's in a job, our human relationships, our relationship with God, whatever it is, we 
choose to live by someone's performance expectations. Somebody sets a list of rules, and we work hard to perform up to that level of those expectations, and we kill ourselves making the grade. Then what happens is, if I meet those expectations, I receive affirmation. That is, I do well at work, my boss gives me an attaboy. I do well at home, I take out the trash, or I cut the grass, or I do whatever, my wife gives me an attaboy. I'm temporarily affirmed and encouraged that I could possibly be someone of worth. I may even choose to believe one of the empty deceit religions that Paul was talking about there in Colossians 2.8. Take a religious system where somebody gives me a list of expectations and some religious leader sits in judgment over my performance and I believe that I can work hard enough to get attaboys from religious leaders and from God. Where that puts me is I'm on the performance-based acceptance treadmill, okay? You've been to the gym? You can tell I don't go very often. But I watch people on the treadmill while I'm on the elliptical thing. And at Pueblo Athletic Center, the ellipticals are here. The treadmills are right in front of them. And I watch the person gets on, and they start walking, and then it gets faster and faster, and the the crazy thing gets noisier and noisier. And I can't hear the, the sports on TV while their treadmill's going. And I watch, and a little spot of perspiration comes in the middle of the back. And then the spot gets larger and larger. And by the time they get off the treadmill... The whole t-shirt is drenched. But here's the amazing thing I've noticed. When they start to slow down process and it finally quits, you know, and they they get off, they're the same place they were 45 minutes ago when they started running their guts out. They didn't get anywhere. That's what performance-based acceptance is like. We run the treadmill, we sweat, and we get nowhere. I'm on the treadmill, performance-based acceptance. If I repeat a good performance often enough, I'll get affirmation from the people who are in authority over me or the people I'm trying to impress. So I get, (coughs) excuse me, I get the affirmation, and if I repeat it over and over and over, I gain conditional acceptance. And I say conditional because if I stop doing that little sequence of looking at the expectations and meeting them so I can get affirmation, performance, affirmation, performance, affirmation. If I stop doing that, then the general acceptance will also go away because usually I'm only as good as my last performance or maybe my last few performances. My acceptance is conditional. Now, if I view God in the same way, here's what happens. I begin to believe I can only be accepted by God if I give a stellar performance. And guess what? I know what you're thinking. You're thinking there's no way any of us can give a stellar spiritual performance. So we're stuck. It's not going to happen. So with the world system, I always go around in the back of my mind with with a hope in the front of my mind that I can meet God's expectation, but in the back of my mind knowing that I'll never, ever, ever attain perfection. That's the classic picture of what the Apostle Paul was talking about in Colossians 2.8 that I just read. He said, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Now, do you begin to understand why so many Christians feel like they're such pathetic Christians? 
I ask people, are you a Christian? And I'll get a confident answer often. Oh, yes, I'm a Christian. And then the shoulders will kind of drop and the head will drop a little bit and they'll go, but I'm not a very good one. Now, how many times have you had someone say that to you? I, I have it all the time. When conversations here in the foyer and in my office and, and all over town. They are saying, I think I'm a Christian, but my performance is bad enough. God must be pretty ticked at me. I have good news for you. It doesn't have to be that way. Let's look at the choices God gives us in his word to see what a right choice could look like. God's path to acceptance. And I want to read, picking up in Colossians 2.9. <coughs> Excuse me. I told the earlier service, some kind of an allergy going on. The allergist says I'm allergic to dust. So the good news is we don't have any of that in Pueblo. <laughs> anyway, Colossians 2, verse 9. And I want to comment as I go because I want you to begin to understand God's path to acceptance, okay? The Apostle Paul says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Jesus is God. And you have been given fullness in Christ. So he gave us himself, who is the head over every power and authority. All those authorities, Satan and his demons who come against us, are under Jesus Christ. Period. End of sentence. Pick up in verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. Hey, listen, that's good stuff. We cannot make ourselves alive spiritually, but when we come to Him, we confess our sins, we repent, we receive Him as Savior, He makes us spiritually alive. Keep going. He forgave us all our sins. I need forgiveness. You need forgiveness. He forgave us. Then keep going. Having canceled the written code with its regulations. The prosecuting attorney is on this side. He makes the list down the wall, the long, long, long list each of us have. There's the written code. And next to it is, is what needs to be done, the punishment for each of those sins. And Jesus Christ, it says, abolishes that. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, verse 15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he disarmed Satan and demons. He made a public spectacle of them, and he triumphed over them by the cross. Listen, God would not do all of that for a person and persons he did not fully accept. When I receive Christ, I immediately receive unconditional acceptance. Performance-based will get me conditional acceptance. Sometimes Jesus Christ coming into my life will give me unconditional acceptance. I want to use three passages of Scripture today. I want to just camp out here for a minute because I don't want you to think, well, Dwayne pulled that out. You know, in my experience, it seems more like this. If I just share one verse with you, I don't want you to be able to walk away today and say, does all of Scripture really teach what Duane said? So I want to kind of heap up a pile of truth here so you'll remember that as a memorial to this day, and you'll know when you get on the performance-based treadmill and try to get acceptance through that, you'll know, hey, God's Word says the opposite of that. So beginning in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6, 
Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm reading from New King James because there's a phrase at the end of this that absolutely lights my fire, and I want you to get it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing possible, and he's moved us into heavenly realms in the spiritual world. We haven't been transported physically, but he has moved us into a place we cannot go on our own. Just as he chose us, verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Hey, he, we didn't fall into this by accident. He chose us. That's his acceptance. That we should be holy. He gives us holiness. Without blame, he removes blame. Before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons. Some of you have been here long enough to remember a couple of years ago when Pastor Charlie was preaching through the book of Philippians. One week, the passage spoke about justification. We are justified. And the next week, right behind it, it's, the Scripture spoke about adoption. And Pastor Charlie gave us the illustration that has really stuck with me. The judge comes into the bench. He reads the, the charges are read against me. And I say, guilty as charged, Your Honor. And he says... My son, Jesus Christ, will take your punishment. You are free. No charges against you. That's justification. And then the next week, Pastor Charlie said the judge took off his robes, stepped down from the bench, came out, put his arms around me, and he said, Dwayne, not only are you free and forgiven, today I'm taking you home with me to adopt you as my child. You're going to be in my family forever. Now, that's a picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ does for us. He predestined us to adoption according to the good pleasure of His will. He's not doing this out of some obligation. He's doing it because it gives Him great joy. To the praise of the glory of His grace, and get this, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Now, beloved is not a word we use very often, but that means we're accepted in the family of those he loves most dearly, in the body of Christ. Let's keep going. 2 Corinthians 5, give you a heap up some more on this pile of truth. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is, if you've repented and received Christ as your Savior, he's a new creation. That is not taking a pig who is muddy and washing the pig down. That is taking a pig and transforming it into something else, a species that didn't exist before. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who, get this phrase, through Christ reconciled us to himself. We don't use reconciliation a lot, and we certainly don't do enough of it in our daily lives. But reconciled has to do with making everything right between people in a relationship, making everything right that was wrong. We're reconciled, so the relationship is right. And get this, let's keep going. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, he not only reconciled me to God, he trusted me to go tell other people they can be reconciled to God. Now, I don't know about you, but if I have a business I don't trust just everybody to go market that business for me. I choose those people wisely. And so it speaks to God's great acceptance of us that he would not only reconcile us, but trust us to go tell others. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. It said, Paul says this, But God, being rich in mercy 
because of the great love with which he loved us. Listen, that's not a description of someone who hasn't accepted you. That's a description of someone who accepts you completely. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Hey, he didn't wait until we got all nicey-nice to love us. He loved us when we were at war with him. He made us alive together in Christ. There's that made alive again. He gave us spiritual birth. By grace you've been saved. Hey, it wasn't our, anything we deserved. His grace. And here it is again. Raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then get this. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. In the coming ages for eternity to come. He is going to display our lives, the love and acceptance He's given us forever and ever to show the immeasurable riches of His grace. Listen, you don't choose people to show the immeasurable riches of your grace whom you don't accept. He accepts us, and He's choosing to use us for eternity. Let me give you a recap, just a bullet list of all the things in those three passages we just read. He chose us. He justified us, set us free. He adopted us. He made us holy. He made us blameless. He accepted us in the beloved family. He made us a new creation. He reconciled us. He did not count our trespasses against us. He trusted us to give others his message of reconciliation. He loved us with the greatest possible love when we were at war with him. He made us alive spiritually. He elevated us to be seated with him spiritually in heavenly places and The Word says He plans to keep on doing this forever, forever, forever. We're accepted. Period. When we come to Jesus Christ, I I, I can't fathom anybody in this room not wanting that. Here's how you can have it. Give your life to Jesus Christ. More on that later. So, we're accepted unconditionally. Then God continues to give us affirmation to remind me of his acceptance. Here's how that works. I believe the primary way God gives us affirmation is through his word. Each day when we're in his word, he speaks truth to us. We take in truth and we gain affirmation from him, reminding us that he has already accepted us. That's why here at Fellowship of the Rockies, we practice life journaling. We challenge every person in our church to practice life journaling. It's as simple as taking the passage of Scripture each day that is listed, that gets us through the Bible in a year. It's listed, and you're reading it, asking God to give you a Scripture. We use S-O-A-P to spell soap, Scripture. We ask God, give me, give me a, a, a verse or a small passage out of this that I'm reading today that I need to apply today. We take that Scripture, the O, that we write out is the objective truth or our observation. We need the objective truth of God's Word before we do the A, that is make application of it. I write out the application. All that is, what does God want me to do with this Scripture today? The P is my prayer. I pray back to Him my commitment of what I'm going to do that day. We are going through Scripture together. It gives us the opportunity as a church family to talk about, hey, what did you get out of John chapter 7 today? What did you get out of the Old Testament Kings and Chronicles this morning? Uh, and, and it opens a conversation where we can share with each other and help each other 
along in Scripture. Help each other with taking in the truth so we can be affirmed that we really are accepted. Because on any given day, when we walk in this door out here, we may or may not be feeling accepted. And we need to remind each other that we are accepted in the beloved family. If you've never life journaled, hey, you can pick up a life journal. The, the people at the, in the Welcome Center at the Information Kiosk will help you with that. You can get those. Uh, if $7 is too much, uh, they'll give you one. Uh, or give you a set of the bookmarks. You can use a, a 12-cent notebook that's on sale at, at the places now before school starts. You can use anything. Just get in God's Word and let Him affirm you. Now, what happens to us often, far too often, is the communication breakdown comes and we forget that we're accepted and we get back on that performance-based acceptance again because we stop ingesting, taking in the truth of God's Word. God doesn't scream at us from a distance. Now, God works to get our attention. Don't get me wrong, okay? But God's general practice is to affirm us is His Word. His general practice is not to say, wow, Dwayne's way out there today. He's not in the Word. He's not listening. Dwayne, hey, you're accepted, buddy. Did you hear me? It's not his way he works. He works to draw attention. He lets me just get in a mess all by myself, and the Holy Spirit in me works to draw me back to him. But the way he works to affirm me is through his Word. So, He gives me power to meet the performance expectations. Are you starting to see this thing is reverse of the world? He he accepts me. He affirms me. So I remember I'm accepted. And then he gives me the power to meet his performance expectations. Now, some of you may have a little hiccup with using performance expectations with God. All I'm saying is he asks us to obey him. But here's the good news. I'm not left on my own in my own strength to obey him. Look at what he says in John chapter 14. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He gives the Holy Spirit to live in me so I can meet those expectations of obedience. He gives me spiritual strength. And get this, in Colossians 1.29, one of my life verses, one that just absolutely governs my life. He says, he does the work through me. The Apostle Paul is writing about his hard work of spreading the gospel to the world. And he said, to this end, I labor. Labor doesn't sound like easy stuff, does it? Struggling, that doesn't sound easy either. With all his energy, which so powerfully works in me, here's what he's saying. Hey guys, I'm killing myself with God's power. I'm working myself to death in God's strength. I think too many people are working at their Christian life, sometimes myself included, like they have nobody to help them. And it gets old. It turns into drudgery. Nothing could be further from the truth. So here's how it looks. Let me show you the picture of what we've just been through. The world system says... You start with a performance expectation. If you do that pretty well, you'll get affirmation. The better you do that, the more affirmation you get. Ultimately, you can hope to get some acceptance. Here's what God's Word says. He begins with acceptance when you give your life to Him, and then He gives you continual affirmation so you can obey and bring Him great glory and bring you great joy and fulfillment. Now, 
Leave that up there for just a moment. You watch that while I describe something for you. I'm on the world system, or I'm sitting here, you're sitting here today and you're listening. If you think, well, I'm, I'm on the world system, but hey, I'd like to add God's plan. That sounds a little bit better. It is not like me sitting in a restaurant, I'm drinking coffee, and I say, I think I'd like a cherry Coke. Uh, server, would you bring me a cherry Coke? So I take a sip of coffee, I take a sip of cherry Coke, and I say, whoa, this is nice. I just simply added this. That's not the way this, this works at all. The way this works is much more like a trapeze artist. The trapeze artist is on this swing holding the bar, swinging back and forth, and the one on this other side pushes this swing out, comes back, they push this one out, and even when they're at their highest and closest together, there's a huge leap with, of great faith, and of course in the trapeze artist's skill, but of great faith that when they let go of this bar, there's going to be a bar on the other side for them to grab after they've jumped. Coming to Jesus Christ is like that. It's an all or nothing thing. Pastor Chad said to us last week in worship, he challenged us to lift our arms, just close our eyes and not, not let anybody bother us, lift our arms in total surrender. And then he stopped and he said, well, there's really not any other kind. Surrender is surrender. That's the way it is with coming to Christ. Listen, when you come to Jesus Christ, you give it all up to him because you can trust him. Let me just share with you. Back in junior high, I, I grew up in a Christian home. And I knew the truth about salvation. I played games. I pretended to be this way with my parents, a little goody Christian boy. I think they knew that it was fake. But anyway, and then I was entirely the opposite with friends. And I remember in junior high one day going to the front of the church to the altar area to pray. They didn't have the foresight to have prayer partners there to speak truth into my life or to ask me things and share scripture with me. So I just knelt there and prayed. Here's kind of what I said. Oh God, I know I've sinned and I want to get rid of this sin. I want you to forgive me. While I was saying that aloud, I was thinking, if I try to quit using the filthy language, telling the raunchy jokes and all of that stuff with my friends, they're going to laugh at me. This will never fly with Rick, Lonnie, Jerry, Chris, my other buddies. Do you think I was letting go of the bar? Here's what I was doing. I was backing up the dump truck full of garbage and sin and saying, God, I want to unload some of this because I'm so tired of carrying it. Let me describe another day. July 22, 1972, right after I graduated from high school. Two weeks ago today, 40 years that I've known Jesus Christ. I'm astounded at what God has done in my life in that time. July 22, 1972, a Saturday afternoon under the hood of my old 57 Chevy. I was greased all over me. My dad was watching me playing some Southern Gospel Christian music. Cheesy stuff. I still think it's cheesy today. Sorry. Um, but God has a sense of humor. And the song was about this guy who, an old guy who'd given his life to Christ, and he stopped in the middle, you know, that's kind of where he gets, you get those holy tones and you talk in the middle of a song. It was one of those. And so while it was playing, I was thinking, ah, this is the cheesiest thing. I'll be glad when this song's over. And the Holy Spirit, when this guy was talking about, if I could do anything different in my life, I would go back and give all of my life to Jesus Christ. 
And in the middle of that cheesy song, the Holy Spirit said to me, that's what you're doing, Dwayne. Almost 18 years, you're just wasting it. Are you going to waste the rest of your life? And under the hood of that old Chevy, that day, all I said to give my life to Christ was, God, the rest of my life is yours. I just surrendered totally. That's the day I was born again. That day in junior high, I wasn't giving anything up. You see, the Bible says we, realize we, we need to realize we're sinners. We need to repent of that sin. That is, I'm going this way, and I do a 180 and say, that's the wrong way. I'm running my own life. God needs to run my life, and I receive him as my Lord and Savior. The Bible uses both of those words, two sides of the same coin. A savior means forgiver. I wanted that forgiver part back in junior high. I wanted to get rid of the weight of that sin that I knew was in my life. But I didn't want the Lord part. That means boss, the one who's in control. On July 22nd, 1972, I not only backed the dump truck in and said, I want to unload it. I said, God, I can't even unload it. Here are the keys. You unload it. You drive the truck away. And when I allow him to drive the truck... My life is radically different than when I try to wrest the keys away from him and drive that thing myself. And many of you sitting here can attest to the same thing. Listen, giving your life to Jesus Christ is not just adding church attendance. It is not just adding a prayer or reading a Bible or something like that. It is sell out. Give it all to Jesus Christ. And when you let him come in and take over, guess what? You get full, unconditional acceptance, affirmation. And when you obey, he empowers you to obey for his glory and for your good. Here's a challenge quickly, okay? I want you to ask you to practice right thinking. I'm just going to blaze through these. Practice right thinking. John Piper, a guy I read and try to comprehend, a really sharp guy, says this, wrong living is wrong thinking. Right thinking nourishes right living. He also says, our Christian living is absolutely crippled by sub-Christian thinking about living. The majority of the people I talk to who are Christians want to be authentic Christians, but they are absolutely crippled by wrong thinking. They're on a performance-based system. They don't understand God's acceptance. My challenge is, will you stop the wrong thinking? Don't let the enemy win. Start believing God. The second challenge is this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We sang it earlier. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, King David in Psalm 34, verse 8, says this to some people. He had been telling how good God was. He said, hey, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. He's saying, you're looking for answers? You You just dive in and taste this, and you'll see that he's good. I say to you, try him. You won't be disappointed. For 40 years and two weeks, I can tell you I'm a satisfied customer. Taste and see that God is good. Now we get to the confession. I want you to listen to it, please. And if you're one of those filling in the blanks for your life group, get it filled in because you need these words. I'll read it to you, and then we're going to read it together. So I'm giving you a little bit of time to think about, okay, I have to say something aloud here. Listen to this, please. I've repented of sin and received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If you're sitting here today and that's something you've not yet done, you can read this with us. You can mean it in all your heart, and you can accept Christ today. I've repented of sin and received Christ as my Lord and Savior. 
I am completely forgiven, totally accepted, deeply loved by God. Because he lives in me, I can do his will and be fully pleasing to him. Now that's a lot of stuff. You're going to need to take that home, put it on your mirror, on your refrigerator, your wallet, somewhere, and use it this week. Because there will come a time this week when you're tempted to jump back on that performance-based acceptance treadmill and you'll need this little paragraph. So are you ready? Let's say this aloud together and just confess the truth. Remember that big heaping pile of truth that's here from God's Word. Let's share it together. I have repented of sin and received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I am completely forgiven, totally accepted, and deeply loved by God. Because He lives in me, I can do His will and be fully pleasing to Him. Now, as we end the service today, I'm going to leave that on the screens, and I want you to pay attention to that. Remember, those who have not given their life to Jesus Christ do not have this promise. But just as significantly, those of you and those of us who have committed our life to Jesus Christ need to be reminded of this promise. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. The most important part of our worship service is our prayer time. I'm going to ask you to stay exactly where you are unless you're coming for prayer. And I'm going to ask you to not leave until people have responded to what God's been saying for several minutes now. Every week, we pray for people. We have prayer partners who want to pray with you. They'll be standing here waiting for you. If you come and they're all busy, if you'll just kneel and begin to pray, they will come to you as soon as they can because they want, they enjoy praying with the people who come, whatever the need is. You may have a need uh, to, to get on God's acceptance plan, to give your life to Him. You may be a Christian who just wants to change your thinking and, and believe all that truth that we've heaped up here today. Uh, you may need help with a life decision. You may just need wisdom and want somebody to pray for you. You may be sick. You may be asking God for healing. Whatever it is, this is the time when you come and people will pray with you. In a moment, we're going to stand. And when we stand, I'll ask you to come. Don't wait long. We'll give you a few moments. And then we'll be finished in just a bit. Let me pray. And then I'll ask you to come. Father, thank you so much that you accept us when we come to you. That in Jesus Christ, we are fully loved, fully accepted, completely forgiven. And I pray that today, those of us in this room will begin living that way. In Jesus' name, amen.